Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to Godsplaining. My name is Father Bonaventure, and I am joined by Father Gregory Pine, who is in the Alpine region, if that's right, in Switzerland. How are you doing, Father Gregory? Yeah, that is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing well. Um, I am in the Alpine region of Switzerland. I think Switzerland is a pretty small country, so you can always at least see the mountains, unless you're like in a basement covered in a bunch of blankets. Um, but then, for the most part, you're in the mountains, which is, which is awesome, because if you want to go hiking in Washington, D.C., you have to get on I-66 and then, you know, spend half of your life in traffic and then eventually arrive at a mountain. Whereas here, I can like roll. I mean, that's a, that's a mixed image because if I were rolling, I would be rolling downhill and then I would be getting further away from the mountains. Regardless, I'm in the Alpine region. It's good to be here. How are you? I'm doing well. I mean, uh, not the Alpine region. I'm in the city region. So DC, the belly of the beach, you could say. Um, and it's, it's unseasonably cold, I suspect. It's probably in the 20s or 30s last time recently. So it's been, it's been a cold. We didn't have a, a, a cold winter until recently, but it's nice. I don't mind the snow and I like the cold. Um, so it just means outside bundled up, which is great. Uh, it reminds me of uh, growing up in Buffalo, New York. And although not, that is, people think Buffalo is a really cold place, but it's not as cold as Wisconsin. If you're, from, if you're listening and you're in Wisconsin, hats off to you. Well, leave your hat on, but my hats are off to you when I'm indoors because uh, it is cold out in Wisconsin. Absolutely frigid. Absolutely frigid. So, but it's still a delightful place in Wisconsin to be. But I'm happy to be mm. here in D.C. and uh, we'll begin to spring at some point, but we've got month of February to get through as well. So, speaking of disappointing topics like February, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, there's just, there's no holiday in it, right? Except for Valentine's Day, which just has a, takes on a special character for us as, as Dominicans. Um, mm. We thought we'd talk about, since we're past the holidays, the holiday season, what have you, and yet we're still in COVID tide, we thought we'd talk about talking about COVID. Because if you're like us, or like me, or like the person next to you, um, you might have found that it's kind of tricky to talk about COVID, especially with friends and family sometimes. Strangers, you can just kind of do your thing and then leave. But COVID, it seems, has become the new religion and politics, the kind of no-goes. And yet, it's like the weather. You've got to talk about it. The conversations, at least to me, can get a little complicated. So, Father Gregory, do you do you experience any any difficulties or troubles uh, talking about COVID, or is it just kind of fist pumps and uh, high fives and everything else? <laughs> uh, yeah, I too experience difficulties in talking about COVID, and I think you know, in part because each person has his own experience of the pandemic, it may have affected people closer or less close yeah I, I i'm just like addicted to parallel structure so if i say closer i want a word that ends with er to be its opposite it's like remoter no that doesn't gonna work um yeah so because people have different experiences of the pandemic because people have known those who have gotten really sick or have died uh, or or don't um and then because people kind of engage in the conversation in different registers yeah i think that it's it's a total mixed bag and and you're right Sometimes you do feel like you're walking in a minefield and that can make it, yeah, that just can make it really difficult to, to navigate the conversation for one, but to try to build anything like consensus uh, for another. So yeah, yeah, that's been my experience. 
it's it's such a i mean if we do the religion politics comparison right uh i mean religion is a, is a you know a, a difficult issue for some people to talk about because there's so much riding on a sense like you know eternal life and all the ultimate values of the world um <laughs> but but it's also like not as existentially present you know you could actually not think about religion for a minute or two and nothing you know like you could not make decisions on religion and you wouldn't see the ramifications immediately in a sense, although you would see them and, uh, and you would see, you know, as in terms of virtuous living and then politics is kind of, I mean, politics is such a grab bag anyway. COVID is weird because it's, it's, as you say, it's a minefield, but one that like you're, you feel compelled to enter because there's no like way of escaping it. There, we're, we're stuck in this thing. And it's a, it's a kind of, it's a biological fact. I think viruses are living, right? Or is, or is that bacteria? Bacteria mm-hmm. living viruses are just kind of like those little space pods, right? Um, I have just exhausted oh. all of my knowledge about biology. <laughs> I know there are different kinds of animals, and I know that some of them live in different kinds of kingdoms. I know that viruses are something, and I don't know what anything about them. So anyway, I think they're they look like a little space lander or whatever, right? And they do something with <laughs> DNA, and so you fight them with like RNA, and then you know you see. Now this is part of the deal because okay, it's COVID's the real the real thing. It's happening. There seems to be something happening out there, right? Um, <laughs> but it's hard to know exactly what's going on because there's so many questions involved in it right it's a we just talked about the science aspect of it here like i don't know anything about this thing i know but viruses are kind of i mean a little bit um but and how to treat them what to do with them i know a little about that but there's also questions about like moral questions about well you know what kind of level of risk is acceptable in one's life like for instance if it's you know, if if it's possible or if it's permissible to to risk certain things and how you value those risks, um, what a human life and the risk of a human life is worth it. Because you could say, well, you know, we shouldn't do anything that risks any human life possible. And you think, well, then we shouldn't drive cars because people die in cars. So we shouldn't do that. Or we shouldn't wear seatbelts or we shouldn't, you know, we should sit by ourselves alone. You say, no, 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 you've got to take some risks to live life. Well, what's the acceptable level of risk? Well, that's a moral question, right? about what what how you how you measure values and those political questions involved here about like what is the best way given that we're in a, tr- a troubling situation as a society well how do you how do you organize the society how do you put put what's the the right way politically pragmatically or even morally in a sense to involve the state uh, and then there's there are philosophical questions about how you can even know something what what level of knowledge do you have to have compared to someone else and then there are personal questions about just the, the fact that COVID takes away your autonomy. And it's, I don't think anyone ex- experienced COVID and thinking, this is great. I am so happy. I love every part of this. I think we're all on a spectrum of how we experience this. But I doubt anyone is personally feeling energized by the situation we're in. So it just seems like there's, there's a whole lot of stuff, a lot of different disciplines involved here. And it really taxes, I think, the, <laughs> the human mind and the the human will to to work with each other. Yeah, and I think that part of the conflict that we experience is a conflict of competence. So it's difficult for us to discern what we have competence over and what we do not have competence over. So for instance, obviously we have a competence with respect to the personal questions. Each of us 
knows to some extent what we are and are not capable of. Um, so it's like, you know, I know that trying to go to an airport and board a flight is just too traumatic, right? I used to, I used to love airports, but now I find them as places where I'm constantly anguished about whether or not I have the right paperwork. And so if I'm going somewhere and there's a possibility to take a train, I'm probably going to exercise that option now. Whereas formerly, I may have, you know, chosen to fly. So it's like, I, I know what I am and am not capable of. I have competence in this realm. And then you start going from there, like family questions. Uh, you know, are mother and father competent to determine their children, whether or not they get vaccinated, to determine whether their children like go to school or get homeschooled, and what is what their what their children will and will not be able to um, yeah kind of to handle when it comes to comes to pandemic measures, and then you go from there, and then you're talking about political issues. And here, all right, we make a contribution, but it's a little bit diluted if we're in a big society, and um, yeah, and also depending on the democratic processes, it, it might matter less or it might matter more. But then when we go from there to like, okay, to talk about the big ticket philosophical questions, to talk about um, the kind of scientific questions, sometimes we're cognizant of the fact that we're, that we're outside of our ken. And it can be, yeah, I, I suppose it can be somewhat disconcerting to be so deeply and personally affected by a very, very grave situation and to feel that a lot of the decision making has passed beyond your control. Yes. And I think that that's part of the reason for which many of us experience a kind of intensity, a kind of urgency surrounding the situation. We feel like we need to express ourselves. We need to be heard. But then in the process of that, we come crashing up against other human beings who feel very similarly, at least in terms of motivation, but who feel very differently when it comes to the actual content or when it comes to the measures that ought to be deployed. So it's like, yeah, it's just a recipe for conflict or it's a recipe for, you know, uh, kind of chaotic discourse. And I think that's what, what we're presently experiencing. Yeah, no, I think that's, and I think that's right. We want to get to talk about, you know, the how to kind of mitigate that in the second half of this. But I think you, you touched on something really important about uh, competence and, and sort of trusting others uh, because we have to get information from the organs of state, you could say, um, from newspapers and from, from shows and wherever we get them from, I suppose. And uh, this is, has to be a government action in a way, and they have to be experts. But we live in a society, we live in today, where, where expert is something that isn't just given, it's something in a sense earned by us. And now that's a, that's a problem in and of itself, because it's hard to say who grants expertise. Well, you know, the field does or something. So someone grants doctorates or you're, you're hired to be in charge of particular places. But I think we live in a world, or at least it strikes me in the West, where an expert can say something, but then we know that there's another expert saying the exact opposite thing. This is especially true for like mm-hmm. science. I mean, the climate, climate stuff has a little bit of this involved in it. But any sort of political, scientific crossover issue has this element of skepticism, I could say. I don't know if it's even healthy, but it just is our condition that when someone says something on, on the TV about about this is what's going to happen, I think, I don't know if that's true. It's not the weather kind of level where it's like, this is your best shot, and I, I know it's difficult, but it's a general skepticism towards political discourse from the media, which I have, and from the political class, which I have, and I think a lot of us have, no matter what side of the spectrum you're on, you might think, I, I just don't trust organizations to give me the right, just give me the facts and the details anymore. And that's particularly troubling here because 
we don't have access to. I can't just go up and look and know what to do about the, the, the pandemic. Whereas other things, if I don't want to listen to the news about, about some story or I feel like they're not giving the story correctly, I can go and investigate and it's all available to me. This one, the pandemic, I'm not sure if the expertise is available. I'm pretty sure it's not available to me. And so I'm left trusting people that I have a hesitancy. And I mean, maybe this speaks more about myself than others, but I just, I don't, I, I have a, I'm, I'm suspicious of, of people who say this is what's it, 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 people that speak in political situations and say, this is absolutely what's going to be the case and all of this. And it, it, it makes it extremely difficult for me. I, I just feel discombobulated and out of control a little bit. Yeah. And maybe that's part of the issue too. Yeah. And I think too, so, I mean, again, lots of reasons for which one of, one of them is with the media, because I, I mean, I don't know if 2022 is any more polarized than 1887. We speak about it as if it were like political discourse is becoming increasingly fractious. But yeah, but, but because media has polarized with our current political regime, we, we make a decision as to what we want to hear when we choose what channel we turn on or which site we frequent. Um, so it's not like we, we've all kind of conceded the fact that there's no such thing as objective recounting of facts because media is, what are they motivated by? Like they know that if they can make you sad, angry, or fearful that they're going to have a better chance at retaining your viewership. So they're thinking about that. They're also like all other human beings who are somewhat motivated by wealth or power or, you know, fame, honor, glory, whatever it is. You know, a lot of these secondary mixed motivations, sometimes they become dominant in the life and that's, that's the scariest of all. So this is how we're getting the information. And then we're also getting it from people who, um, you know, suffer the same temptations. So when somebody says, like, I'm expert in this, it's like, okay, but are you expert in humanity? Can I trust you? Can I have a relationship with you? Is there any way in which to verify this content based on some other human factor? Um, because if you say, yeah, I know lots of things about science, like you said, there are a thousand people on YouTube who claim to know a lot of things about science who are prepared to say the exact opposite thing. And statistics, studies are so easily manipulatable, it seems, depending on how you call the data, how you present the data, you know, where you start it, where you end it, etc. I'm showing my lack of knowledge about statistics. I took one statistics class in, in math, or math statistics, my, my senior year, I think, whatever, who cares? Um, yeah, so as a result of which we, we feel acutely the experience of, you know, being manipulated, being controlled, being led around to think X, Y, and Z things when we might not be on board for thinking X, Y, and Z things. And that causes us, yeah, a deep suspicion and a kind of tacit despair about the possibility of knowing and the possibility of really engaging on, on substantive issues. Yeah. And I was also thinking, as you were saying that because there's a political question here involved, uh, we like to think we're all Democrats. I mean, in a sense, a small D sense that we, you know, we believe in 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 voting and and having our will be heard. And so, if we lose an election, that's fair enough. But with this one, you don't get to vote on anything. You just have to. So it's it's a political situation that doesn't that doesn't function in our kind of, you know, egalitarian, Republican Democratic kind of uh, liberal democracy. You could say that spectrum. So we feel I part of it. I think is also. What makes it difficult is because we don't feel like we're being heard, but there's no way to be heard in this way other than like elections. And when stuff changes so quickly, you don't get a chance to to really make your voice heard. For a political situation where we we're used to playing the game of at least we have our voice our voice at the at the voting box, uh, and then whatever happens, we just we kind of live with. So 
we talked this makes it all complicated and extremely complicated so if you have trouble and with covid conversations with people friends family or just strangers anybody there's no surprise to that there's just a lot of stuff going on but we don't want to leave it with just saying oh it's complicated throw up the hands and you know that's hopefully covid one pretty soon um we want to have solutions or at least attempt something so after the break we'll talk a little about some tips or at least our thoughts as you know inadequate as they are about how to to go about and how we go about doing better and having passable conversations and charitable conversations with those, even if we don't agree with people uh, in our friends, family circle, or anybody about COVID. So just take a minute uh, and we'll come back after the break and talk about some possible solutions. You are listening to Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. Okay, we're back and we're talking about talking about COVID and the fact that the COVID conversations are are super frustrating, especially with those we love. And we've talked about a little bit why that is, because expertise is hard to come by or understand or willing to admit, personal discomfort with the whole situation, our anxieties about not knowing, just not knowing things today, since we're so used to knowing everything and have everything at our fingertips. Uh, I think that that adds to the stress of it. And then just the political, moral questions um, that that normally come up. It's all just here. Uh, it's all here. And then bringing God, I suppose. What what's God got to do with this? You know, in providence and the and the pandemic. And you could imagine that it's even more complicated. But those are the the complicated situations. But we'll bring it down to earth here and say how. How, Father Gregory, do you think we we can go ahead and make a start at having a conversation since this is a minefield and it's fraught? How do we how do we go about thinking correctly or at least thinking better about these conversations? Yeah, I think um, I'm thinking of something that I want to say was Pope Benedict XVI described as intellectual charity um, and or we could describe it as a kind of intellectual humility. And this cuts in two directions. So the first is not necessarily to assume the best of others, but um, to make judgments which are favorable to others when they express contrary opinions. St. Thomas has this little line about the difference between judging things and judging people. Mm. It says if you judge things somewhat severely, it's not like they, they suffer from it. It's like, man, that is an ugly tree. It's like the tree doesn't subsequently toddle away and like blush unless it's an ent. And then you've got yourself a bigger problem because mm-hmm. you're in... The Lord of the Rings. Um, but if I judge a person, and especially if that word gets out, right, that, that person stands to suffer from my judgment. And I can actually do violence to my own humanity in the process by becoming the type who's just looking for other human beings to disappoint him, who's just seeing in other human beings a kind of complex mess of conflicting opinions and utter absurdities and blah, blah, blah. It's just sound and fury signifying nothing. Okay, so, so to exercise a kind of generosity with respect to others, and then to exercise a kind of um, yeah humility with respect to our own opinions, mm. um, you you cite often that um, sage American philosopher Donald Rumsfeld, uh, who spoke of unknown unknowns, the things that we don't know that we don't know, mm-hmm. um, or as Pocahontas once put it, the things you never knew you never knew. Um, and there's a lot of unknowns unknowns uh, at work here, and that should yeah that should make us somewhat hesitant to pronounce in a way that's too strident or that's too. Uh, 
Um, not confident. I think it's fine to be confident, but in the sense of like potentially alienating by virtue of our ugh, vehemence, right? So to kind of soften the discourse by introducing a note of generosity towards the other and by introducing a note of humility with respect to our own opinions. I think that's a good, yeah, first step. No, I think that's, that's great. Yeah, charity and humility are always, always good things, especially in this conversational aspect. And it's, it's, I think they're hard to practice because you might have to say, like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm just, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. And because we live in such a uh, polarized, now who is it more otherwise than, than before, but there's a sense in which the minute you say, I don't know, the other person might think, well, well I do know. And you might know the other person doesn't know. Right, that they, that one of their unknown unknowns is their own competence in this particular area, and yet it's still hard to, to, to admit, and because you know they're going to deploy knowledge claims that they may not have, uh, have access to, that to to not do that yourself, so you end up basically shouting across at each other with things that both of you don't really have knowledge about. But the humility to say, oh, I'm not sure about that. You know, I don't. I yeah, I don't have. I this is my opinion. This is my thought. These are my thoughts about it. But to be honest, I'm 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 not clear about this sort of thing myself. Um, at least it it opens up a space. I think the charity is the right humility to to listen to the imagine a convers imagine the conversation as if you're like finding out about someone, you know, as opposed to I think our immediate reaction, at least my immediate reaction with the COVID conversations, is to kind of stake my claims to to make myself my positions known to kind of back someone off a bit about something. Um, I think because there's just this personal discomfort about the whole situation, and you want to at least, even if you're not happy about something, you want to be right about something. Um, and mm-hmm. the charity and humility allows you to step back and say, well, you know, this person is probably no different than I am. You know, they're, they're struggling with the, same, with the same anxieties, same frustrations, and they're not being clear about things either, probably. Um, but I might not be either. I might feel like I really, I'm really certain about my things, but there might be some unknowns in there that I'm just not aware of. I think that's, that's, that's salubrious advice. Although it's difficult to practice in today's because we have this, we have this sense, I think, where conversations are battles, uh, the contests that need to have victors to them, like one mm-hmm. side has to win. And that's just a politicization in general about things. Maybe we should have a conversation about just politics invading all of our language at some point. Um, but that's certainly true mm. here. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think um, the idea that this other person, right, is another human being, right, and we are on opposite ends of this, whatever, political question, like naturally makes us to think or m- makes us to tend in a kind of dialectical way. Yeah, like you said, we, we begin to think about it as struggle or as a battle. You know, if you engage in a debate with another human being, the first question that's asked of you isn't, you know, like, did you come to greater consensus? The first question that's asked of you is, did you win, right? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> that's like not the point of human life. The point of human life is not to like vanquish all those against whom we find ourselves pitted in conversation. I mean, that might be the goal for Conan the Barbarian, who when yeah. asked, I believe, what's good in life, responded to defeat your enemies, to have them driven before you, and to hear the cries and lamentation of the women. So if we don't want to pertain to the tribe of Conan, then we're going to have to, I don't know, we're going to, we're going to have to be willing to progress in a way that's a little more, yeah, a little more sloppy, uh, a little less neat, uh, just a little more human because human life is just like that. Like in everyone, everyone's, uh, not everyone maybe, but most people have had this experience in a family situation where you hear somebody say like, 
Um, I lost a cl- I, I lost a friend who you know who died of COVID, but I have made these particular judgments about COVID, and so I don't feel at ease like expressing my sorrow or expressing my pain at the loss of my friend. It's like, you know, you you can you can feel sad that somebody whom you love died of COVID, and then you can make another judgment on the other hand about statistics, right? Mm-hmm. With the recognition that that person is one in seven billion, and that that should enter into the conversation, but also that you love that person, that's fine. Like. Yeah. It's, it's laudable, it's praiseworthy to be a messy, you know, not neat human being, because that's what we are in truth, in truth and fact. And if we try to if we try to make a narrative that's overly neat, then we're going to actually, yeah, do violence to that humanity. Yeah. And I think because this, that you raised the pervert, that because there's so many overlapping issues here, this isn't just a political position or a moral position or a science position on science, this sort of thing, or just a personal position, but there's so many different levels on this thing that whenever you speak about the someone might you might be deploying a scientific argument but this other person mm-hmm. that scientific argument is also connected to some other personal or moral argument or some uh, some feeling in there so that they're hearing not what you're saying but what they what they they would be saying if they were saying that and that's just general true in, in conversation in in, in m- most conversations situations are that it's very often easy to mishear someone. I remember when I was in when I was in Oxford, one of the most important parts of of our exams, they drilled into us answer the question. And you think, well, of course I'm going to answer the question. And he's like, "No, no, no. You really make sure you take a minute to write down your own words like what the question is asking of you." Because we just immediately project if we see a couple words, "Oh, this is what this, per- this the exam is asking for." But they're really they're really good about, "No, actually, you can you can entirely miss the question." And I found myself looking at going Wait, oh, that's what they're asking because we fill it in. And how much more with with people who are much more complicated than just Oxford examiners that there is a lot behind anything they say. Now you can't play double, you know, second guessing, and we we have to sally forth. You could say into uh, into risks at some point. That's just what human communication is. But at the same time, it's worth remembering that people connect things differently than you might connect them. At least as I, I see it. And also to know, prudence says to say the right thing at the right time in the right way, to know if, if the person you're talking to might actually not be open to or able to hear out a sort of argument from either side about something because of, because of their own a personal experience or something. It doesn't mean you just let them off from saying, well, whatever they say is true, but it does mean having, again, the charity of the other per- for the other person and realizing this is not, COVID is not just like a political or mathematical or scientific position, but it's a personal experience that people had take differently and brings a lot to bear. So to be gentle-ish, gentle-ish around others <laughs> uh, is, is, I think, salubrious, although so darn difficult, so darn difficult. Yeah, and it makes yeah. you feel, it makes you feel weak, I think, is the idea. Yep. But Paul does talk about the weaker brother, and I think it's important uh, to remember that. That's just that's just some thoughts. Yeah, and, and maybe just my, my final thought on the matter is it doesn't demand of you that you be naive. It doesn't demand yep. of you that you perform mental gymnastics in order to justify the position of another human being. You might, you know, have nigh unto certainty that the other human ber- person has made an error. Like, in the way that they are recounting the facts, like, I want to say Justice Sotomayor said something about um, infant mortality with COVID that, you know, increased it by a factor of like a thousand. It's like, okay, that's, so that's a publicly verifiable falsehood. Um, that being the case, right, it still doesn't, 
It doesn't mean that the other person is not a human being who has a part to play in the conversation and in the discourse. Because, again, the point is not to vanquish. The point is to grow. And I think here, you know, like a little return to virtue is helpful. Mm-hmm. Like, when will it come about that we will trust other humans to actually communicate to us the truth? I mean, in heaven at the second coming, for sure. But I think that we can actually create communities or we yeah. can create environments in which vir- virtuous people who might think differently about matters are able to engage each other in a way that's not only respectful in the sense of like, I will not say something egregious so that I myself don't come across as, you know, a brute, but like that are actually truth seeking and that see discourse as instrumental to an attainment of a deeper consensus to a richer reality, which is actually formative of all those human beings who participate in it. And I think that this was like, this is what politics is intended to be, a common meditation on the common good, a common conversation in the context of a common life. And is that Pollyanna-ish to think that we can reconstitute that in the current climate? Perhaps a little bit, right? But I think that if you despair of certain ideals, your humanity ends up withering and desiccating. And so I think it's worthwhile to hold them in mind and heart, even if, you know, you feel like you're fighting a long defeat, to quote Tolkien there. So, yeah, I think that's that's that's, my last thought. No, that's, that's that's why, no, that is... Yeah, we could be skeptical or cynical about the possibility of virtuous discourse, but there's... If you're not going to, ha- there's no way you're going to have it unless you attempt it, unless you, you hope for the best and pray that, that you be given the grace and that others be given the grace to grow in that virtue so that we do have to attempt it and, and assume that, you know, you, some aspect, we can, we can have virtuous discourse, especially with those who are around us, I, I'd hope. If we can't have it with those around us, then who are we supposed to have it with? Well, those are just some pointers and some thoughts. I think we're going to be in COVID for a while, um, hopefully another day or two. But if it takes more than a week or two, we'll be having more conversations uh, around it. And it's a chance to reflect for a moment on how we do it and the difficulties, but also the promises of being able to grow explicitly uh, in holiness and charity and humility with those around us and, and in truth and in truth. So if you've liked this episode, uh, please share it around with those uh, that you might know in these conversations. Like it and do all the social media kind of stuff. Uh, thank you for supporting us on Patreon. If you've uh, supporting us with our technology and paying our assistant and all the kind of great things. Um, we actually have some great things, of course, they're coming up. We have two retreats, three retreats this summer, um, which are open now, so you can sign up for them. Um, I'm going to shoot it over to Father Gregory, although I think I think I know two of them are in, in July, and then one of them is the Men's Wilderness Retreat is in August. But Father Gregory, do you want to say anything about uh, uh, the retreats that I might, so I don't put them in the wrong place? No, yeah, you nailed it. So um, Young Adults Retreat is July 22nd through 24th in the same place that it was last summer, right? So Huntington, New York, out on Long Island, and then an all-comers retreat. So, you know, whomever would like to come, you're the most welcome. And that's in the same place from July 29th through 31st. And then the Men's Wilderness Retreat is in Brevard, North Carolina, outside of Asheville, North Carolina. And that's August 11th through 14th. And that's a Young Men's Wilderness Retreat. So Young Adults is 21 through 33. All Comers is All Comers. And then uh, Young Men's Wilderness Retreat is again 21 through 33. So those are the specs. Well, we hope to see you there if you get a chance. Uh, We had a great time with the first uh, retreat. Uh, last last summer, it's a beautiful location. It's absolutely gorgeous. Lots of lots of land. It's it's a fantastic time to get together and uh, and and talk with each other, to meet each other in virtuous conversation, and also to to learn hopefully truths from from us, but at least uh, some humility as well on our uh, from our side of things. And it's wonderful to see you all. So because we're usually speaking into cameras, it's actually great to to sit down and and, and talk to people who actually who, who listen to the podcast and and enjoy it. 
So uh, from Washington, D.C. and from Switzerland, this is Father Bonaventure and Father Gregory. We'll be praying for you, pray for us, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.